This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. I've been taking a few weeks off to recuperate from some surgical body work, and our alternate host, Alex Ashkin, has been filling in. Last week, we left off part one of Alex's chat with Jared Thompson, with the two talking about how Thompson's comedy attic has attained an enviable reputation among touring comedians, their agents, and regional fans since the club opened in 2008. Thompson told Ashkin the Comedy Attic may be one of the top three comedy clubs in the entire United States, and that's judging by word of mouth among the nation's stand-up comedians and their representatives. We also learned that Maria Bamford, who's appeared at the club several times and has twice headlined Thompson's Limestone Comedy Fest, is not only one of Thompson's favorite performers, but whose appearances played a big role in cementing the comedy addict's national reputation. We'll be playing a Bamford clip later on. Now, let's pick up the conversation where Alex Ashkin and Jared Thompson left off last week. One of the things that I've come to realize, and particularly in just sort of reading up about the journey of the comedy addict, was that there's really sort of three primary managerial aspects to being the owner of a comedy club. And it really seems to be, one, booking, managing talent. Two, hiring and making sure you've got good employees who are reliable. And three, curating your audience. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, talking about sort of what Todd Glass did and then sort of the continued production of your pre-show videos, which I was lucky enough to get in. I think it was in late March. I saw Matt Browner perform um, right before you guys uh, closed, and I was surprised and both very excited. Actually, no, I apologize. It was Nikki Glazer, once you guys had reopened, that you had the new COVID-related video. And so have you realized that taking that sort of proactive approach to addressing the audience like helps improve the overall show beyond just the issue of hecklers or people getting a little too rowdy? Well, I think, y- yes. It's the it's the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life from a business person standpoint because ultimately what you're doing it there's a reason why every other comedy club on earth does things differently than the way that we do and it's because they understand business <laughs> I look at it the exact opposite way I'm like I'm gonna die running this club I'm never gonna be able to retire. We're going to make enough money to every so often be able to go to Disney World or whatever, but we're never going to ever have like a yacht or like a second house. It's just, this is it, right? Mm -hmm. So I made a choice years and years and years ago that if that's true, then we're going to have fun. And to me, when I think of what's fun at a comedy show, I know one thing it's not is some dip blank, you know, some yeah. whatever jerk in a mullet 
over two tables away from you that won't shut up because the comedian doesn't like Donald Trump. And it's like, I just don't, it's just never going to be a thing that we cater to the, to the dumbest people. We're just not going to do that. And so every other club, not every other club, but the majority of clubs, they still want that guy to come back. Now they're going to tell them most of the time they're going to tell them to stop talking. But if, if, if they're not thrown out, then that person then leaves on their own or leaves a bad review. And then the club then says, well, here's some tickets for a future show, or we're very sorry about your experience. We'll have a talk with our staff or whatever. No, the staff was right. No one's ever been thrown out of a comedy club for laughing. It's never happened. And it never will happen. And anytime that anyone says that in a review, they're lying. They were the problem. The customer is not always right. It's absolutely a farce that we've been told from the first day. Mm-hmm. In fact, any entitled person doesn't belong in public at all. Like <laughs> you shouldn't even be allowed to be in public if you think that you're owed something. Now, the downside to this is that the same people who talk and are just obnoxious during shows are the same people who think that masks are, are, are a farce. (laughs) So what we found when we reopened was like people like you and I, that probably are going to avoid going out altogether are not coming to shows. So we've alienated all these other people for so long. (laughs) Now we kind of need them. Like it would be nice if, I mean, I honestly, I would be happy to tell somebody to stop talking at their table when there's eight people in the crowd. It's just different when there's 160, right? Yeah. So we basically have had to thread a needle that's like almost impossible to thread, which is finding someone who knows that COVID is real, who's smart enough to understand good comedy, who's also still willing to sit in a room that has no open windows in it for an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. It's not very many people like that, right? And I was just as nervous as anybody else was, but I've been to every show since we've reopened and we haven't had a single case come back to, I felt totally safe the whole time I've been there. I have not for one second felt like anything was going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, so you still have people that wear their masks uh, under their nose, but again, they're also the type of people that we're going to try to talk during the show. So you just can, it's just one of those things. Certainly sort of a little bit of a, task of just mitigating some risks and making sure that you know you're kind of producing the best possible environment for comedy in a safe way these days speaking about covid it really was a giant upheaval in the industry just like entertainment in general any sort of venue they've been going through a tough time so you guys did a little like you closed down for about four months or so and for the first real big thing to come out from you guys during that closure period was a virtual open mic from some Bloomington, Southern Indiana locals. Well, we, so basically we, I just had um, one of our local comics just basically spliced together the most recent or best set from you know 12 or 13 or whatever of our best comedians and we use that as a fundraiser for the staff so it's like five bucks Mm -hmm. to to buy it 
and it was a YouTube link. So they could just go to YouTube at that point. And um, yeah, so that actually we raised with that and just selling gift certificates. Like we raised like 10 grand for the, for the wow. staff, which was nice. Yeah. So walk me through a little bit of that, like early COVID time. Did you just instant, like, was there a bit of an onset of like almost depression where you're like, oh, wow, this is big. This is totally interrupting things. Or were you instantly, I got to go into problem solving mode. The yeah, show must I mean, go on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, there, everything was on the table. There was never a moment where we would have discounted anything. And, and I also know, and still right now, if we have to go into another lockdown, like all I have to do is just ask someone like Kyle Kinane or Maria Bamford, can you help us? And they would help us. I mean, we have, we have enough equity with a lot of people that even if they didn't send us money themselves, like they would do something for us. Andy Kindler has reached out. Jen Kirkman has reached out and, uh, Mike Birbiglia, even with everything he's done for us and for the staff, like he would be willing to do more. You know, I, I just, there's so much out there that is in worse shape than we are. And just people that don't have food or don't, I, it just doesn't feel like the right move until we absolutely have to do something. But those things were all on the table when, you know, honestly, we should have never, I don't mean we, but like the country just shouldn't have reopened. Mm -hmm. like it's it was the wrong call and we're now paying for it and the one sort of byproduct of that is though that we know how to safely do a comedy show during a pandemic mm -hmm. which we wouldn't have known had we not reopened which is not really something you ever need to know how to do but my point is is that like if we don't close back down again it'll be fine for us because we know that we're doing everything safely. Like the, I don't know if you know this or not, but like the health department has people going out at night and they'll, they'll go into all the businesses. They go to every business at least once a weekend to make sure that they're doing everything right. And you know, th those guys have come in a couple times and they're like, you guys are the least of our worries. Like you're, we know that when we walk in here, you're going to be, everyone's going to be wearing a mask. We know that you're taking it seriously. Your tables are spaced out. So honestly, our biggest issue, it's, it's like one of those things. It's like anyone that's come, like you said, you came to the Nikki show. I guarantee you that you, if someone asked you, did you feel safe? You'd say that you did. Entirely. Yeah. And so it's just a matter of getting someone just like convincing them to come the first time. And then they'll, they'll come again because they know that it was safe. It's actually no different than booking a big name comedian for the first time. Mm -hmm. Like who could blame, you know, uh, uh, Paul Reiser or, or Arsenio Hall or uh, Janine Garofalo for being like skeptical that this mm -hmm. club in the middle of nowhere in Indiana is actually a place that you should go to do comedy. Well, my biggest job from the beginning was c convincing those people to come the first time. It was never hard to, to get them to come back. Yeah. Now in yeah. Paul Reiser's case, he just isn't doing standup anymore, but I know I've talked to him and I know he would do it again if he did tour again. Speaking about getting help from the comedy community early in October, the tonight show starring Jimmy Fallon announced a $15,000 donation to you guys. 
was that something that was sort of you were aware of in the background, like something that was happening? Or was that sort of like you got a call one day from one of the producers on the show, like, hey, we've been looking at local comedy venues. We noticed we've heard so many good things about the comedy act. We want to help out. Yeah, it was maybe a combination of both because, but you're exactly right. That's what happened is that a producer on the show called me and was basically just like, hey, uh, we want to, like, we just want to put a, like your showroom or the exterior of the club on a shot as we're going to break. Mm-hmm. And I think initially it was going to be every time. Like, I think that their initial idea was instead of showing like the skyline of New York or whatever they show during the breaks, mm-hmm. it was going to be every time they go in and out of breaks. But I think that maybe some of the clubs didn't have a lot of great photos. Like we ended up t- tall and small f- photography who we've worked with over the years. He sent me like 50 shots. So they had all kinds of stuff to pick from. But I wonder if the other, so it was not even really like presented to me like there was going to be any money. I think she did say, and Indeed is going to give you like a small donation. So like in my mind, it was going to be maybe some sort of like, like, you know, how like someone will be like, in your name, we're donating. (laughs) I didn't even think about it. And then we're watching Monday night because they didn't tell us which night we would be on. So the first night, the Monday night, we ended up being on Tuesday, but the Monday night show was uh, B- Bananas in New Jersey, yeah. which is a pretty lousy, sorry, I'm sorry if they're listening, I'm very sorry, but it isn't a very like prominent thing, mm-hmm. but that's where Jimmy grew up. Mm-hmm. Like whatever city that that's in, is yeah. that's his home club. So it totally makes sense that he, and they showed a photo of him on stage there or whatever. So, um, that's when they were like, it's 15,000. I was like, what? <laughs> like, we didn't even know. And uh, so, yeah. So the next day when she told me that we were going to be that day, she was like, yeah. And I don't know if you saw this, but Indeed is giving $15,000 to each club. So, yeah, it was pretty great. I mean, we, we, we used it to just repay a different, like one of the loans we took out during the first part. But that way we didn't have to pay any interest on it, which is nice, you know. Yeah, that's huge. In the past, you've been quoted as saying you're not exactly sure about what the future of like comedy venues are. Now more than ever, people are sort of wondering a little bit about that. Do you have any ideas about where you think the future of comedy and kind of stand-up performances in general might be going? Is it kind of becoming a little bit less institutionalized in a sense like a little bit more impromptu or more online you had a great comedian on recently brett terhune who absolutely funny but he really cut his teeth almost with his online presence is that something you're expecting to see more of these days i I think that we will lose some comics Mm -hmm. who sort of figured out how to make a living without having to get up at three o'clock in the morning and get on a plane from LA and then have a layover. And then you fly into Indianapolis and then you have an hour drive with a, with an open mic level comedian who's probably asking, probably being a little bit too inquisitive of Mm -hmm. how things work. 
And then you get to Bloomington and in an hour you have a show. And if it's not like a super well-known comic, there might be 15 people there. So it, for sure, there's a, you're going to have people and more than likely it'll be the people that wouldn't stand in front of traffic for comedy. Mm. The people who are like, this is how I pay the bills. I'm good at it, but it's not really like my life's work. We'll probably lose them. And on the other side of the coin, we're going to lose comedy venues also and already have lost some really great comedy venues. And we'll lose more because what I don't think people, I don't think that everyone has really come to grips with what's going to happen. It's not just at the comedy attic, but this definitely will be true here. But more than likely for you to go see Elton John, mm-hmm. you're going to have to show them that you have, that you took, that you took a v- vaccine. Mm-hmm. I know that if you're going to walk into the comedy attic without a mask on, you're going to have to show me that. I don't think people realize that that's where this is headed. I don't think that people understand how you're not going to be able to go to Disney world or to Cedar point without showing them that you've had this vaccine. Mm-hmm. And if you don't show that you have to wear a mask or, or it could even be, because they don't want to have people to have to wear masks. They may not let, let you in at all. Yeah. And this could cause major problems. Like we all have relatives and like just people that we've come across who are just lost their minds about this, like their liberty or whatever, about what this means, that they're going to be microchipped or whatever. Like they, I don't think that people quite are – thinking this far ahead but that's exactly like we have tickets to see elton john yeah if we want to go to that show we're gonna have to show them that we've had the vaccine i guarantee you and so just that like you're gonna i'm sure 30 percent of comedy clubs are owned by people who think who think that trump was right about all this so they're just gonna have this mess of like they're going to have to find like-minded comedians who don't mind doing that sort of thing. And it's, there just aren't that many of them. So I, I really, honestly, I think that the best case scenario for us is, is that we're sort of exempt from any of these issues because of how good of a place that we are to do, to come to do comedy. I honestly think it's possible that Mike Birbiglia will whittle his list of clubs down even farther but i do believe that we'll always be on that list i think we'll always be on john mulaney's list and in fact i think that the fact that we have done things the right way it's possible that we could get a visit from someone like dave Chappelle, or i really do believe that there are reasons to to that we could be even more great as we move forward based on honestly the biggest reason why we've been, and this is an absolutely true statement that I've said all from day one about this. We're not great. It's that most everybody else sucks. There's a difference. There's a reason why the Foo Fighters are considered maybe the greatest rock band in the last like 20 years. It's because there's five good rock bands. When Led Zeppelin was considered the best rock band, just imagine all the bands that were around then that in any other era or now, 20 bands from the 70s would be tenfold the best band of now. That's basically what this is, is that we're the Foo Fighters. We're not even that great of a band, but everyone else 
is so bad that by comparison, we look like we're as good as Led Zeppelin. It's just not true, but it's, that's what I'm saying is that like that, I honestly think that the most likely thing to happen is, is Acme, us, and Comedy Club on State, the three best clubs in the country, the gap is just going to go even farther. Because you got people who, the, the places that believe in art, I believe, will become even more relevant than they were before. Because if you're someone like John Mulaney, you're definitely not going to spend eight weeks a year on the road at a comedy club. Because people are going to think, well, what about the next virus? Like, what else could, could happen? Like, we're not going to hug each other anymore, like, as often. Like, we're not doing that stuff even after the vaccine. So people's habits are going to change and we're going to see less, you know, co comedy club dates for Jen Kirkman, less co comedy club dates for Fortune Feimster, for Ron Funches. But I do believe that we've done enough to keep ourselves in that co conversation. One last question for you before we sign off. You've been running the Comedy Attic now for 12 years. You've learned a ton and really sort of built up a community based around the performances, the artists, and just the environment. What's the one thing you've learned this year, particularly out of COVID, that might translate well to other people who are trying to nurture, maintain their communities, maintain their small businesses, to try and keep their spirits up and keep people looking forward to what the future might hopefully look like? Well, I think that it, it just gives you time to realize, like you mentioned earlier, and I kind of passed over this, but our staff, like you have to be kind of crazy to work at the Comedy Attic. Like what I mean by that is, is that you have to basically fit in this small per parameter of type of person mm -hmm. that you're willing to give up your nightlife completely altogether. It's just gone. Like you can't, you're working every weekend night and you also have to be able to tell someone that they can't act like an idiot at a show without actually calling them an idiot. It's not easy. And part of the biggest reason why I don't ever talk to customers during a show, if they're talking at their table, the only time I come out is if it's clear that they have to be thrown out. It's because I don't have that skill. I'm like everybody else that like, we can't, I can't deal with that. Like, I'm so mad that they're talking that I just want to, stab them basically <laughs> so like it's not you know my temperament does not le lend itself to being the person that goes out and talks to a to so they have to be able to do that you have to be very patient you have to be able to adapt to the moment and one of the weirdest things about working at the club especially if you're a server is you go from being bored to being in the weeds in minutes mm -hmm. because the average person comes to the show right before it starts and so you, you go from twiddling your thumbs to having eight tables in a minute and a half. So you have to be able to adapt like that too. And this also goes to your, like, I guess what I'm saying is, is that you have to really take stock and ownership and love your employees and understand that they're real people that have real problems that come up that, you know, you have to try to help them where you can. And that will sort of give itself back to you tenfold because they understand it's hard to find a job that actually cares about you as a person. On top of that, you really have to understand and care about the people who will come to your business.
-hmm. like we take for granted all the time. Like you're just so used to having a Saturday early show and it's sold out. Like if there's a cat on stage, there's 160 (laughs) people because it's Saturday, eight o'clock. Why wouldn't it be full? Right? Well, you can't take that stuff for granted. So we have to really understand that the people that are still coming to shows are super fans of comedy that really want to have fun and have a night out. And those people, I mean, they, we will be forever in, in debt to the people who showed up during COVID because they really trusted us and really understood that we still need help during this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it is absolutely possible that we could close forever if this goes on for too long. I mean, it's definitely in the cards. Like, and that's not, it shouldn't be breaking news to anyone. It's just the way it is. So you just have to do what you can and spend as little money as possible and just yeah. stay home and, and just try to do things the best way you can. Value your employees, value the, those dedicated customers who are still willing to go out there, be your regular patrons and support your business. And also kind of put on a good face because whether for good or for ill, we're all sort of dealing with stuff right now and it, it, it's not easy. Honestly, you just have to remind yourself every single day when you look at, oh, we lost money again this week. I have a house. I have a family. We have, I have like people that I love and care about, whether they be the, the local comics or like even in the worst time, there's so many people that have it so much worse that we need to be concentrating on them and understanding how we can help them more so than a comedy club in Bloomington. We're just going to do shows as long as we can. It's very possible that we'll go to Zoom shows only if, if, they, you know, if the restrictions get tighter. I mean, just wear a mask, please. Just wear a mask if you're ever anywhere, even if it's outdoors. There's, it's not as hard as people think. They can find you at www.comedyaddict.com. Thank you very much. Thank for, you. And have a great day. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. As promised, here's Maria Bamford. Maybe we should get to know each other a little bit more deeply. Uh, Does anyone here have a poor credit history? (laughs) It's a safe space. Um, Yeah, I I don't know when I'm going to pay them back, but it's going to be soon. Super soon, I'm totally gonna pay it back. Super soon. Um, I really think giving me a, before giving me a credit card, they really should have given me a math test. Uh, like a series of story problems. Question number one: If Maria works as a comedian for a hundred dollars a week, but spends twenty dollars a day on hair scrunchies, how many years will it take for her to pay off a Taco Bell gordita she bought in 1992? Good question. Question number two: If Maria's boyfriend is in a folk band. But he only smokes pot every other day. What percentage of the rent will he be able to contribute? I thought 50%, but the answer is zero. That's good to know. 
That's going to be on the test. It really is. <laughs>